welcome to welcome to this lesson on the future future in the past This is Lane Santa Cruz, your Ward 1 Council member with your co-host, Liz Soltero. And you are listening to No Tucson. We started this podcast in response to our daily fight against COVID-19 and as another means to share information and resources. Liz, what do we have this week? So it's been a really difficult, heavy week. Um, folks in the community all over the world are grieving the life of George Floyd. Folks are angered that there is this continuous fight to validate Black folks' life. So it's just with a heavy heart. We then went into a mayor and council session, and at the mayor and council session, there was a, a vote to approve the mayor and council strategic plan for the CARES Act funds, an effort that you helped lead that really centers equity, provides us with a framework. And during that experience of what happened at the table, there was a lot of difficult conversations. There was a lot of uncomfortable conversations in the need to justify why we need to provide direction to city manager. So can you bring us, um, you know, can you ground us and tell us, you know, why it's so important here on a local level? What are those connections to larger things that are happening? Uh, thank you, Liz. I too want to acknowledge the life of George Floyd being taken at the, the hands of police that continues to shed light on police brutality our, across our country and the institutions that we uphold that create a lot of harm for our communities and that a lot of times hold no accountability to the people that we say that they're there to protect and to serve and that the institution that we're addressing right now within our local government as it relates to the CARES Act money is how we respond to the folks that are most vulnerable in our community. So I just wanted to highlight that there was a study that came out last week about the 100,000 people that have died of COVID-19 here in the U.S. And we know that that number continues to grow. But that this initial report shows that 80% of the known fatalities were at least 65 years old. And that racial and ethnic disparities in the folks that are dying and that they're still trying to unpack all that data. In Alabama, for example, 44% of those killed by COVID-19 were Black in a state where African Americans represent 27% of the population. Here in, in Arizona, our Native American communities represent about 5% of the population, but they comprise nearly 17% of the folks who have died here in the state of Arizona. So it is important that we highlight the disproportionate impact that communities of color are experiencing in this time. Because if we look back prior, you know, to this, this situation, the most vulnerable are racial and ethnic minorities that are less likely to have health insurance and hence put them at greater risk for COVID-19 and not having the proper health care. 
are more likely to be employed in low-wage jobs that work in close contact with the public without the necessary safety measures, that a lot of them live in shared households. So there's, there's bigger households in more dense areas of the city. And then you have the children of, of families that are folks of color, low income, are less likely to have computers and or broadband access at home. So when we're talking about vulnerable populations, these statistics are not up for debate. Um, it is a, a reality that exists here in not only locally but across the country and that it's not about giving lip service that we care. It's about how we're going to address these disparities and how we're going to do it now. So with the framework, it provides direct connection and direct support for folks that are vulnerable. We have family workers and families as part of that. Uh, we have support for folks in domestic violence, also elders and seniors, food delivery services. The framework that you're pushing forward really it really does go against our status quo and how we're approaching this. Um, what are some other examples that we can use to, to amplify our understanding of why it's so important to center them now in this, in this work, especially around the pandemic and in our budget? So what we've learned through Hurricane Katrina and the 2008 financial collapse is that we've seen how recovery efforts that don't deliberately solve for issues that are facing low-income communities and communities of color, not only reinforce those existing disparities, but create more. The gaps will continue to, to grow over time. So in looking at how we're responding during this time, we need to have principles for planning for equity in our own disaster recovery, which puts people first, where we center racial equity, where we invest in community infrastructure, build an equitable economy, and protect and expand community voice and power. So one of the, the arguments you know, that we've been having at the table about why it's so important that we have a community investment piece for how we use our CARES Act money is because if we can stabilize households that are most vulnerable here in our community, then they're in a better place to be able to not only like pay their bills um, or, or take care of their, their children, but then able to have better outcomes on the other side so that then they're going back to being able to, to hold down a job where they can continue to, to pay their taxes. Because at the end of the day, the city's budget, the city's funds rely on sales taxes. We have to invest in the families who are going to keep the city afloat. Just to amplify, that this is just some of the beginning we're seeing. We're, we've yet to see the full impact, and I know that, that those numbers are going to be higher. We know that, and, and we have yet to hear a lot of the stories of how folks are being impacted. And so I just want to acknowledge that we know that the need is really great, and we know that this effort is important to make sure that we can keep folks grounded, can keep folks in their home. So we just talked about at the macro level what's been happening around the country and the impact that that has for us here. To bring us back to what happened at the mayor and council meeting, which is in the conversation that we had at the table, we thought it was important to provide some, you know, some reflection on the conversation at the mayor and council meeting. So in which part? Right after we finished our presentation, Mayor Romero had some comments and then council member Steve Kazachik had his remarks in response to talking about the need for an equity framework and how we put this budget together. So should we listen to that clip? Let's play it. Let me say a few things. Um, look around our table. We've got, 
Mania's been here 12 plus years. We have three Latinos. Richard's been here 10 plus years. A senior council member with me. Uh, Lane, you bring an indigenous blood to the table. Paul Cunningham is Jewish. You look at, you think of all the anti-Semitic shootings and threats and issues that we've lived through even in just the past few years. And that's a real part of Paul's life. Durham, Paul Durham is an openly gay man. Until Las Vegas, the Pulse nightclub was the largest mass shooting in this nation's history. And that was all based on anti-gay bias. Uh, Nikki, I remember growing up and um, one of my mom's friends was a white guy who was married to a black lady. And it was just scandalous back in the, back in the 60s. I remember sitting in the living room hearing the conversations that they, about the bigotry that they, they went through. And I am absolutely certain that Nikki and her family have felt the racial bigotry over being a mixed marriage. Rankin's wife grew up in Mexico, thinking around the table. Ortega is clearly Hispanic. We have a chief of police who is openly gay and an assistant chief of police uh, who is openly gay. And congratulations to her on her recent uh, anniversary. So let me tell you a little about me that you don't know. In the 60s, while Time magazine was calling gays perverts on their front cover, and Stonewall in 1968 was where gays got the hell beat out of them by people in authority. During that era, my mom had to quietly end her five plus year same sex relationship with her partner or she would have certainly lost custody of my brother. My dad was suing for custody. She subsequently spent her life as a single mom and never had the opportunity to resume a relationship. Last year, after 50 years plus, I finally made contact with her partner and let her know that my mom had died two years, two months earlier. Everybody at this table has an emotional tie to equity. Nobody at this table is exempt from the effects of bigotry. We are all on it. And I would say that for the last 11 years that I've been here, every single policy decision that we've made has gone through the scrutiny of that lens. And we can and we will continue to look at every policy that we make with respect, with respect to equity. The dis, and the distribution of our CARES money, as Rahina just said, is, is going to be a statement of our values. And that decision, that decision has to be decoupled from the task forces and the studies. And so I'm glad that you're saying that that analysis will come after the fact, because we have a real and immediate significant budget issue that we have to take care of. And so this, this has to be said, in my opinion, the two most important people seated at our table for the long-term stability of this city are Mike Rankin and Mike Ortega. We have the best city attorney in the state and we have the best city manager that we have had in decades in this community. And I would add to that that Ortega has assembled the best core of department heads that this city has had top to bottom for the 11 years that I've sat here. I think everybody at the council would agree. By charter, we have a strong manager form of government and the voters affirmed that three, three years ago. I totally appreciate the work that you and your staff have put in and Brahina and her staff to the extent that they've, they've entered into this as well. But I think if we go off in this direction, on May 12th, Ortega and his staff gave us a 
document that outlined the use of the the uh, CARES Act money, and they made specific rec specific recommendations. And I think that if we just toss that side and use this this new matrix it undermines the authority and the and the role that uh that mike brings to the table and his staff bring to the table today uh richard embers had some questions answered and the document that whoever put it together joyce amber whoever was involved with it uh really identified the complexity and the and the extent of staff's work and 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 as amber was with us earlier uh des describing the real extensive and complex rules that regard rules regarding how we can use these dollars this is a federal emergency grant with very specific uses we are going to get audited and if we don't use them correctly we will get those dollars clawed back the city manager has been tracking the cost he's been putting together our budget and my takeoff has to begin with the work he and his staff have done uh, I don't want to go through your thing line item by line item. Uh, I am really concerned that it uses all of our reserves up. We don't know where this, where the back end of this year is going to go. We talked earlier about the possibility of a resurgence. Um, we can't, we can't just assume that, the, that these dollars are going to simply, simply be there. I am concerned that some of the line items that are included are not going to be approved uh, we all agree that we want to take care of the most vulnerable the most needy in our community but i'm not sure that in fact i am pretty sure that the that the, the cares dollars are not the way to do that liz so when we're living the experience of what's unfolding in front of us so i think sometimes like we are emotionally tied to the responses that we heard at the table so I think it's important that we bring outside perspective about the discussion and the dialogue that happened at the Marin Council meeting. So we have Flor Espinosa Burruel and Jamie Schumacher. Flor was one of the youth organizers here in the city of Tucson with a lot of the ethnic studies and SB 1070 legislations at the state. So she has that experience with organizing young people here in the city of Tucson. And also Jamie uh, Schumacher, who's been a strong ally and community activist and who is an educator researcher focused on critical whiteness studies and critical race theory. Hey Jamie, how's quarantine been? Hey Flora, it's uh, it's really good to hear your voice. Did you catch the the mayor and council meeting? Yeah, I watched it um, both last night and this morning. I felt like I needed. There's so much in it that I had to watch it twice in order to fully take it all in. No, definitely. I'd be curious to know what your reactions were to sort of the way that Council Member Kazachik framed the issue discussing how the CARES Act money should be allocated? It's, it's not surprising because I feel like progressive white men do this stuff all the time. Like it's, it's a way to, you know, like take away from the main, main point. Um, it's really cringy the way that, you know, like this person can be there like outing everybody and talking about everybody's background. And then it also feels like a little bit of a microaggression because 
you you hear him you know talking about um indigenous blood and stonewall and you you use these words strategically so that people can put these two together because trauma connects and colonization is still in our blood and it's still there and and you hear these words and you connect those dots and same with white people like they hear like indigenous blood and they hear words like this and they connect it like oh you know like this person is still dangerous this person is still violent this person still doesn't know what they're doing Mm -hmm. and it's it's destructive and I don't know I just keep thinking back on like how he used people's spouses to give them you know like a card and it's like systematic oppression is not like a credit score like you don't just like own their oppression or you don't own part of like their struggle because you marry them like yeah like at minimum it felt really tokenizing and it also assumes I think one of the reasons it's dangerous is that it individualizes something that is institutional right that Mm -hmm. it implies that well if we are diverse then inevitably we are going to do things that are quote-unquote equitable Um, ignoring the fact that as you noted like colonization infects people's mindsets and that even folks of color can act in ways that are harmful to equity in the sense that you know what what council member santa cruz is arguing for is for a direct attention to equity in the way that our community allocates funding and to have as a white man sort of weaponizing other people's identities as a way to deflect or to sort of like couch or hide the fact that he's saying we shouldn't do that is it, it, it makes me uncomfortable and it makes me frustrated that, as you said, it really fits into a pattern. You know, I identify as a white man and it fits into a pattern of the way that we as white men use identity when it is convenient for us to try to keep the status quo. But he's not ever in that conversation owning his own identity. He's not talking about how his identity informs his decision-making that maintains an, an inequitable status quo. Yeah, it's so much to to try to dissect because there's so much in there. I mean, there's so many layers to this and you can just see it plainly, you know, like mm-hmm. when progressive folks think that they're already doing the work and then people of color tell them like, no, like this is what's actually needed. This is what we need to do. And they're like, well, actually, that's not what I think that we need because this is what I've been doing already. Mm-hmm. And I get stuck on that but that he uses, you know, to say like that money, like, oh, but this money is not for that. When when you look at all the stat, like all the statistics, when you look at all the people who are dying, like this is directly affecting affecting people of color, low income mm-hmm. communities. And for him to say like, oh, like, yes, we need to do something, but this money is not for that, even though they are the most impacted right at this moment. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when, when do we get to do that? When do we get to actually say like, this is for you? You just hit the nail on the head because, you know, you can go back to Frederick Douglass, where he essentially asked that question, like, how long do I have to be patient in order to see the abolition of slavery? And then you can fast forward and Ida B. Wells has a similar sort of narrative of when, when, like, how, like, how long do we have to wait? You fast forward, you can hear the same thing from Malcolm X and the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., all the way into the people who are in the streets right now in Minneapolis who are saying like, when, when are we gonna see change? Because here we are again, experiencing the same trauma in the context of coronavirus that people of color are dying at higher rates and that people of color and women owned businesses are not getting 
support. They're not getting any of the federal dollars that are supposedly earmarked for them. And to say we all want to take care of our most vulnerable and needy, but the CARES Act is not the way to do it. It's, it's a very, very deeply coded racist statement. Yeah, that's definitely on point. All of that. Ditto. <laughs> yeah, there's, I just don't see an urgency in, in really wanting to, to actually do something and, you know, take action and help people the way that he thinks that he's already doing. And it's, it's really disappointing, you know, because I know that we're working really hard to, to, mm-hmm. to try to like prove, you know, again, like our humanity and prove mm-hmm. that like what we're saying is facts. And then for them to just kind of like dismiss it and be like, Oh, like, you know, even Steve says like this thing, you know, like this is a tool that can be used to like hold our council accountable to see where the money is. And, and it's like, it's still like, they're stuck on this whole, like, well, well, what if it doesn't work? And well, what about this? And it's all because it's coming from a woman of color. Lane is a woman of color. Regina is a woman of color. And the way that they poke holes in it, it just, it makes no sense. Like it doesn't come from a place of logic. It, it's coming from a place of, of privilege and just racism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of, of the conversation is like, I know inevitably, because I, I watched it happen so many times that like, if members like Steve Kazachik or frankly, any white person who's hearing this, there's, there, I imagine there's going to be a defensive reaction of like, they're calling me racist because I don't want to push forward a, a proposal from a woman of color. And I think what's important about that is it's not about whether or not an individual person in their heart of hearts harbors racism. It's about whether or not we are open to shifting things away from the way that they've always been done. And I think that's one of the fears that we as white people harbor really deep down is like letting go of some degree of control and trusting that people of color know what's best for themselves in their own communities rather than needing to micromanage other people's lives. And I think uh, that part of working for equity or justice, you know, I appreciated that in the presentation, Lee noted that this is about equity. It's not even about removing barriers to people's access. It's about shifting and making it so that they can more easily access within the current institutions the way that they are, right? It's not even a radical change of like tearing things down. And I think that as white people who hear this or, or you know, as members of a city council, whether we're white or not, if we're like, how dare they say that this is racist? We have to push past that defensiveness and think about it through the lens of the more systemic reality, like that we can have the most deeply held emotional tie to equity. But if we're not willing to make some of the systemic changes like were proposed by Lane, and if we're going to pivot to a budget that actually strips those systemic changes out, then we are sort of enforcing a status quo that continues to be inequitable. And that's why, I mean, I, what I really appreciated about Mayor Romero responding was that quote of budgets are moral documents. A mentor of mine, Carla Mestis, she always says, don't tell me your values, show me your budget and I'll tell you your values. And a budget that is neutral to the needs of the most impacted in Tucson and beyond is never going to actually serve those who are the most vulnerable and needy. 
because our systems are not designed to meet the needs of the most vulnerable and needy. So we have to be overt in that. And that's what I really appreciate about this proposal is it's saying both on the front end, we need to allocate money in very intentional ways. To, but then also on the back end to follow up and make sure that we're living into our values, that our budgets are actually reflective of our values in both design and in execution. Yeah, the tool that 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 she presented is like there there was there I, I don't feel like there was a lot of room for you know saying like oh you didn't look into this you you forgot this like everything was well thought out well and i think to that point you watch the video and <laughs> lane moves to sort of moves to to accept the proposal right and in the middle of that process uh council member cunningham offers a counter proposal that sort of is like a reset button to the status quo. It's like it interrupts, first of all, the process in the moment, but also it's, it's dangerous because it's an interruption that's trying to strip from the budget the very things that are most needed. You know, like, you, I don't even know if you can call it microaggressive. It's like aggressive, <laughs> but it's, it's an intense sort of moment. Yeah, it was very aggressive and... I mean, like you talk about like all of these different rules in, in the office and it's like, it's confusing sometimes because I feel like when you're new in the office or like in that, in that, in that space, I, I feel like a lot of the rules are like hidden. Like you don't know all the rules. Like yeah. when, when, when was, you know, Mayor Romero or Lane ever told about like, you can, if you're not agreeing with something, you can just hijack the whole meeting and come up with your own <laughs> proposal on the spot. Like, I, apparently mm -hmm. that's allowed because you know there was a rule for like voting for that and then going to the next one but the way that he did it was it's just it, I, I've seen that before like where they're interrupting and you know like they speak over Lane or they speaking over Regina and bringing it all back kind of like okay you know like I'm tired of this like let's just start over kind of like I'm feeling uncomfortable I don't want to talk about this anymore let's just agree to disagree and vote on what I want because that's mm -hmm. best. And I'm really glad that that it that it didn't go through that the, you know that it wasn't voted for and that that I'm I'm hoping that our offices are just are, are able to provoke more of this so that mm -hmm. people can see it and people can start to realize how the white men in this in, you know in our council are are so fragile and you know like they're they're not open to new ideas. Mm -hmm. And that readiness and that lens that they think that mm -hmm. they have, like, it's, we're not going to be the ones to call it out, but we're going to make sure that, like, it's out there and people can see it so that they can call it out themselves. To your point about calling it out, something that should be called out is, like, the proposal that was put forward, like, takes into account the needs of all of the wards, right? A lot of due diligence was put into, like, listening and bringing in different perspectives from the different wards. And yet Cunningham referred to it as Ward 1's proposal, again, using fear to sort of alienate those who might, who might be afraid of change. Yeah, like this, like this, their first step in their agenda to taking back Aslan or something. Like, this is the fear that they <laughs> yeah, have. Right. Like, like that we're going to come in with all of these ideas so that it's going to benefit us and it's going to put us ahead because it's the, it's the fear of losing that, that first seat at the table, the fear of losing that power, you know, or like, being treated differently and not being treated as a white person mm. it's just it's it, it's it's really crazy and not so crazy the way that it's just mm. actually just unfolding and the way that they're just they're they're coming out with all of these things that they're showing us what they actually think
like you, you start questioning like is am I feeling this because I'm a person of color or am I feeling this because you know like I don't know like I'm just sensitive you start questioning all your identity you start questioning like, all of these little microaggressions you start seeing their true colors and you start seeing you know like this is what they were scared of they were scared of these proposals they were scared of these changes they were scared of people of color coming and being represented and having a voice at this table mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i i can't uh, i don't think there's anything more to say that's that's exactly what needs to be said yeah thank you so much for your time Florida. thank you too jamie it was really nice talking to you and getting to dissect all of the crazy stuff happening in our city right now absolutely okay take care you too bye-bye I'm thinking, you know, after hearing Jamie and Flor, it's it's really at my core very comforting to hear how they dissect it and how they are understanding um, the impacts of the things that were shared uh, at the, through those conversations um, around budget. And again, what keeps sticking out for me is like when, yeah, when do we get to do this work? If not during CARES, you know, the the COVID pandemic, if not a year ago, if not 10 years ago, it's like when, no, now is when. And as tough as these conversations are in this work, it's like now more than ever, like there is an opportunity here. And so um, I'm feeling really fueled and feeling um, like there's a lot of tough work ahead, but there is a community that is along with us and that will help us figure out the inner workings of making sure that our city government and our council do the work and present them. And so I'm really hoping that our community know that their voice really matters and that we wanna hear from them, that the council needs to hear from them and that we, yes, need to continue prioritizing them and make sure that we're amplifying their voices, not the status quo. Those are some of my initial takeaways from, from Jamie and Floyd. What about you, Lane? It makes you feel not alone, you know, in, in the work, because it is this, this side of, of governance is, is and can be lonely. So when you, when you have community reach out to ask how they can support, it's like, this is why, this is why we're here. And so I just want to like remind folks that like, we can't do this work alone and that, yeah, we need to continue hearing from, from our community and how we move forward with this. So Let's finish off with some moments of joy. Um, Liz, so what's bringing you joy this week? Well, uh, my joy is shared by the rest of our team because yesterday was Andres's birthday, and so we're super excited to celebrate Andres. Happy birthday, Andres Portela. We love you. Happy birthday. So Liz, can you take us out? Thanks for listening to No Tucson. Visit our social media, keep listening on our website, or subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and in the know. If you don't know, now you know. Bye. Vemos. <laughs>